Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm Courtney Ellis, and I am beyond delighted to have the guest we have with us today. He has provided much of the soundtrack of my life, won multiple Dove Awards, has had songs on the Billboard charts, but most importantly, he's a birder. Welcome, Fernando <laughs> Ortega. <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot for having me on your show. It's so great to have you. I I am so delighted when I found out that folks whose work I've admired for so long are also into birding. It feels like this, this double delight. Tell me what got you into birding. Yeah, I feel the same. Um, I was, um, I had a bunch of American Express points that I had not used. And the guy called me and said, you've got to spend these points. You've got like 2 million points. So the first thing I bought was a camera, a little Canon, um, like a, a SL1, like a digital rebel kind of, you know, entry level Canon. And I went, my sister was already into birding. She had been birding for already many years. And so she took me into the we were walking along the Rio Grande, and I don't know. I started shooting pictures. I had, I had purchased a little a little um, lens, uh, a telephoto lens, um, and I shot. I, I uh, a ferruginous hawk flew overhead, and I just kind of haphazardly, you know, fired off a few shots. And one of them was really in focus, and it's just the belly of this hawk, but but. Um, I was hooked like, oh, wow, look at all those, look at the feather detail and everything. So, so started shooting with that camera. And then after a couple of years, I, I upgraded and I've upgraded a few times since then. Uh, still using Canon gear. But um, yeah, that's what hooked me on birding originally. It's funny because years ago, um, I was playing a um, a fundraiser for John Stott. Do you know the, yeah. the famous British theologian and thinker and and all backstage, all he talked about was birds. And I remember telling my my manager then I was I was a young man, you know, this was a long time ago, but I remember telling my manager, nerd alert, just because, you know, I like who could be into birds that much. And I guess you hit a certain age, then oh yeah, I'm really <laughs> I'm really curious about them. So I I'd give anything to see him again. Of course he's passed on, but mm. and show him my photos and showing my book and you know and you've collected these and beautiful photos into a book called fernando's birds photographs and tales and the photographs are beautiful i think my favorite is the the little bush tit that's all puffed up oh, but yeah. i also love the stories that go along you have such a wonderful sense of humor and sense of storytelling oh. how did this book get stitched together so two very good friends, uh, Elaine Rubenstein and Shirley Galatly, they live in California. They were, we were a very tight group of friends when, when um, I lived out there in Laguna Beach. Um, and they're both very creative types. And they love watching, looking at my Instagram posts of birds and, and Facebook posts. And, and they loved reading the stories. So Elaine's idea was, why don't we compile 
Shirley and I will compile a few stories. We'll, we'll put together like 10 pages of a, a possible book idea and see what you think. And, and I saw it and I loved it. And so then we, so then began this long, it was a long process of going through my thousands of photos, which are hideously not cataloged very well. So if I want to find a photo of a Stellar's Day, like the one that's on the cover of the book, I have to just go back and start leafing through photo after photo after photo. Then I find it, I edit it, I send it to them, and, and then I would lose the photo. I couldn't find it again when they would say, it looks a little dark. So then I have to go back through the whole process of finding that one photo again. I'm really, it's very indicative of, of my whole life is how badly cataloged my my bird photos are. But anyway, I love the idea. And, and so we started, um, you know, just compiling stories and photos and pretty soon we we had a book hmm. and um yeah it, it's i love the way it came out it's we found a printer in china who was this very thoughtful man and and, and he took so much care um in, in in uh you know just making the the book look good and you know really beautiful paper and so that was how it came to be Who'd have thunk that I, I would end up writing a book? You know, my whole life has just been singing and playing the piano. It's kind of your whole life has been mini stories, and this is a an extended, extended well, version. I, yeah, I do love telling stories and listening to stories, and my my family's real big storytelling bunch. My grandfather, who um, died in 1991, he was he was like a an amazing I'm looking at a picture of him right now by the way that's mm. what I was looking up there mm. um he was an amazing storyteller and so my brother and I both learned a lot from listening to him mm. so you mentioned in the book that your family's been in New Mexico for something like 14 generations well we're I, I we found it we I, I hired a genealogist well I didn't hire him I, he's doing it but I'll pay him at some point. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> he's kind of looked back. We found the first Ortega that I'm descended from uh, was born not far from where I'm sitting right now, mm. not down the hall or anything, but somewhere in this vicinity in, in this area of Albuquerque where I live. And he was born in 1614. Wow. Here in Albuquerque. Um, and then he, then his wife, he died in Juarez, Mexico, and his wife died here. I don't know how that happened, but I think they had five kids and then there was another one of those kids who my my direct um and what do you call it uh ancestor he he had only he lived to 23 to be 23 and and then he died and but he had one boy hmm. and the ortegas could have like ended right there back in the 1600s and then that boy and his wife had 18 children Hmm. So, so, and then two families later, two generations later, they had 18 children as well. So, wow. So I, I, I don't know how many generations that constitutes, but it's back to 16, 1614. That's, that's remarkable. It really is. Although like I was telling this story to a bunch of guys where I was singing for this fundraiser and I was telling the story and everybody was very impressed except one guy who looked kind of smug. And I said, oh, well, um, you know, like try to get him in the conversation. Tell us about your ancestry. Where are you from? And he just said, Egypt. So now we're talking, you know, like. <laughs> He's got you beat. He 40, had me 42 beat by, generations. Yeah. <laughs> the 1614 <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very unimpressive. 
So it, it is funny when you visit other parts of the world and they say, you know, in America, you think something's 50 years old. It's antique. You're, you're ridiculous. Pubs in England, you go there and they say, oh, this was built in, you know, 12, 1250, you know. Yeah. King James sat right there. Yeah. Yeah. And his <laughs> wife was hanged right over there or something. Right. It's so cheerful, all that history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, how does your faith and and how have you found that your music influences your birding or vice versa? How are those things connected for you? Well, music, I would say that like one of the biggest things in birding that I have loved um, is listening for, 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 you know, when you go out and you're just like straining your ears, trying to find the tiniest little song or call, you know, and say, oh, that sounds like, you know, there's a song sparrow someplace out there. Um, I think the idea of listening very, of being very quiet and listening has really kind of opened up a new way for me to write music. Mm. Um, I've just kind of sitting and waiting and, and waiting for something to form in my, um, in my head, like a melody or, or, or a piece of a lyric. I'm, I'm create, I mean, I'm uh, recording a new record right now, so so yeah, it's it's coming differently. I I was noticing last week sometime that that things are coming differently than they did when I was a younger songwriter. Hmm. Um, more slowly, but but when they do come, I feel like you know I have. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, uh, but being quiet is a really important thing as as far as writing and creating music, and and it's also a very important thing when you're trying to locate a bird, you know. Um, and, and just like being, just being out, you know, out in nature, well, um, under trees, looking up at the sky, all those things, they're, they're great distractions. If you can be super stressed out and then, you know, the process of, you know, like when you're chasing a particular bird that's rare or something and you're, you're out there just like, you know, trying to find it, that, that discipline really translates a lot to writing songs i think the the holy work of paying attention yeah and that's right that's a good way to say it well and so much of birding is that you can't force it you can chase birds and you can you know have the rare bird alert and you can get in your car but it ultimately is a gift and it feels like creativity works in much the same way that if you're still and you're quiet and you pay attention and you're ready to receive yeah those things can come yeah that's right yeah, so bird chasing is a thing. Huh? I, um, and I'm kind of slow at it, like slow in the uptake. It's funny because we, I'm on the Bernalillo County rare bird alert thing, so, so you know we all keep in touch. And then, then you show up at the spot. And there's all the other birders with their with their cameras and their scopes and their binoculars, and it's a very nerdy affair. All. They're the best kind of nerds, though, aren't they? They're the, they're the best kind of nerds. Yeah, well, I'm a nerd too. It's an it's an endearing bunch. I've, I've, Albuquerque birders are there's a strong bunch of them here, and then there's I think the most impressive ones for me are the ones that are like under 25. That oh my gosh, these guys are so committed to finding birds, getting big bird counts on their on their you know their life lists and all that. And, and, you know, I have a couple of them who are friends of mine who will say, hey, Fernando, are you going to go chase the whatever, whatever, you know, the roseate spoonbill? You know, we had one in New Mexico, of all places. We had a purple gallinule wow. uh, that came out here. And, you know, I it's funny because 
it, it's a very rare, you, you just wouldn't normally see it in New Mexico, but this thing, for some reason, found a very a, a puddle about the size of my house, <laughs> uh, at mud and dirt. And there's this beautiful, you know, vibrantly colored bird wading through the mud and trying to find food. And it stuck around for a couple of weeks. Why did I bring that up? Oh, because everybody was going to see that bird. There were just huge, you know, huge crowds of people. And it just did its thing, you know, as the birds do. And I waited till those crowds died down before I went and saw it. Mm. Um, and I got really good photos because I didn't realize I just sat there for like two hours and it got used to me after a while. And, and pretty soon it was like within touching distance from me, just kind of, you know, looking in the water. And I was like, <gasps> it was too close for my camera to, to focus on. So that, so it was pretty cool. It's a unique problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. I love this story you share in your book about, I think it's the hooded warbler that you get the rare bird alert. You go out to see it. You're not sure if you're going to be able to find it. And then it lands on your rear view mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and then just started attacking the rearview mirror after a while. I go, oh, well, there it is. But those <laughs> those are going to not be very pretty photos of this bird just perched on a, you know, the mirror of a truck. <laughs> it found it found you. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, one time, like after that, it, it went away. But I was sitting in my yard one morning photographing hummingbirds, and all of a sudden, boop, the, the hooded warbler landed on a little branch in front of me. Go, woo, woo, woo. and then by the time I picked the camera up, it was gone. You know, <laughs> the moment has passed. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how those rarities, you know, um, rare birds like here we'll we'll make a big deal out of a hooded warbler or what have we been making a deal out of lately that are so common everywhere oh uh, a harris's sparrow hmm. and uh, they're very common in the midwest and but i was out with there was a guy from from kansas that i was kind of walking around with looking for this sparrow he goes i get these in my yard all the time but but you know they're they're rarity here i remember being in um florida the celery fields. Do you know where that is? Mm -mm. Sarasota. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, we were we were at this birding blind, and there's all these people with these. You know how, how it is, like all these huge camera lenses. Some of these guys were like 85, carrying lenses that looked like you know, they, like they were going to fire heavy artillery. And <laughs> those guys were. <laughs> but anyway, a, a, a white winged dove landed in the feeding area, and they were. Like, <laughs> A white-winged dove, you know, like, and there, I can't stand those birds. That's not nice to see. I like them. <laughs> I tolerate them, but they make a mess around here. Yeah. And you, you can, they'll, they'll empty a feeder within half an hour that you just filled. And, you know, anyway, so I was not very impressed by it. And they were kind of like, you know, why aren't you aiming at the, aiming your camera at that dove? I said, no, I'm way more interested in that, in that, um, Oh my goodness, the the uh, the blackbird with the red eyes. It's a bronzed cowbird. Bronze cowbird. There's so many little like no no no. It's Rufius. No no no. It's red. No no no. It's orange. Like these little variations of. Yeah, these naming. birds are. So there was a few of these birds when when everybody was gawking at the at the white winged dove. This thing showed up, and I was like, oh. <laughs> you know. So one man's one man's. Uh, treasure or whatever how that goes you know what I mean 
So much of it depends upon the location and what's old hat. When I travel to the Midwest, I'm so excited by Cardinals and everyone's like, yeah, we have a million of them. I'm like, I live in Southern <laughs> California. I live, oh. I'm just I'm just down the road from Laguna Beach. I'm here in Mission Viejo. We don't have mm. Cardinals. I love Cardinals. I do. Yeah. So you don't have them at all, right? Mm-mm. We we have them here in the South. I don't, I don't think I don't remember ever hearing about one in Albuquerque, but we do see them. They're weird. They're weird Cardinals compared to the ones in the. They're not as vibrant red. They're more like orangish red. Hmm. And they look like they just need some some love or something. <laughs> they need to go to the salon. Get yeah, yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fernando, one of the things I've always appreciated about your music is it's in touch with the deeper things of life. It's in touch with pain and not in a way that just, you know, marinates in it, but you don't shy away from it. I I was a pastor. My first pastor, it was rural Wisconsin and it was mm. Lent and I just buried six or seven people in the congregation and this heaviness mm. was, was resting on me. And I stumbled upon your song, Sing to Jesus and the words, mm. um, come you weary, and and lay and on his breast. Yeah. Yes. And you know, it's straight from scripture, but the way that that you put that to music just ministered to me so deeply. And oh, in wow. your book, you write about the the grief work of birding and you share a story of of the death of your mentor during COVID and then looking out the window. Would you share that story with us? Yeah, Bill Harder was a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor. And they're good people, those Presbyterian pastors. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he was a he was a prince among the Presbyterian pastors, but mm. so he passed. Um, and it was just very hard. I had lost my mom recently, mm. my dad also. So yeah, I was sitting at this very table that I'm sitting at now. It was 10 o'clock at night, and I was trying to write. I didn't go to the funeral because of COVID. It was like in the height of the pandemic. And um so I was sitting here reflecting on him and I was about what I was going to say because I did a like a live thing like I'm doing with you hmm. for the for the burial. I was at the at the graveside. And you know, I just started I, I got pretty weepy. I mean, it was a big, it was a big loss when he passed. And I looked up um, out this window that's right here. And you know, it was at night, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, and there's a little western screech owl perched on a branch. The tree's now gone because it died, but but um, you know how they're tiny little things. They're like this, like this mug, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, because I feed birds right here, um, there's all kinds of stuff on the ground, so it attracted mice. So this western screech owl had just found his his little his uh, one stop grocery shopping right outside my door. So he ended up coming back all the time. But I, but I felt like, you know, Bill, my 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 mentor, he loved animals and birds and and he, he was just so aware of of things you know for mm-hmm. a, a very busy pastor with, with like you mentioned deaths in the congregation and weddings and and he just was tireless in the way he ministered to that place and mm-hmm. I I felt like when I saw that screechy that you know he was kind of just saying it's okay or it's going to be okay it was very comforting yeah to see see that little owl i haven't seen him since by the way but hmm. i've heard him it felt seen by god in the midst of yeah 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 it was like that hmm. how do you think about a song you said you're working on a new album right now when you're when you're trying to stitch those pieces together 
some of the Christian music industry is very happy, 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 happy. And you, you, your music has this interplay of these bright moments and these difficult moments often drawn directly from scripture. How do you, Mm. how do you begin a song? How do you start a song? And how do you know when when a song is finished? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Beginning a song for me, there's no, for me, there's no standard way I do it. Sometimes it's a snippet of a lyric. Um, I'm working on a song right now about my, about my daughter, Ruby, who's 14. I'm, I'm divorced from her mom. And, and uh, in the aftermath of that, the divorce, I, you know, the husband usually gets not very good custody arrangements. So I was, I was just devastated by the whole that that had happened in the first place. But then the fact that I couldn't see Ruby every day was pummeling. And I, you know, I only could see her two days a week. So, you know, I just told my friend Elaine, who I mentioned with the book about, about how it was like, I'd, I'd have these two, two days of just my little kid here. She was six back then or five back then. And, and then, so you try to cram and make everything, every moment count and the pressure of trying to make every moment count and sometimes failing. And then she's gone, you know, for another week and a half or something. It would, And she'd leave it, she'd leave the door and I would just like come in <laughs> and just look, you know, like binge watch something on TV. I'd get so, so lonely and sad about it. So that ended up growing into a song. Um called every time you leave mm. and uh, and and so that was the, that was the seed for one song sometimes it's just life experiences and you mentioned pain that was one of the more maybe maybe the most crazy painful time in my life when my, my wife was gone and, and I didn't see my kid um and I guess it's just the idea of staring into that situation and trying to describe it, you know, you know that other people have the same, other dads have that same, that same thing. I've, I've talked to so many, you know. Um, so instead of running from it or trying to hide it with, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my, you know, just say what the situation is. And I think that people listen to it and they say, yeah, that's, that's how I feel, you know, mm. it's, that's kind of the challenge in songwriting, I think finding this, the things in your life that are, that are meaningful, whether they're sad or happy, writing them down and then trying to try and making sure that it's universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, it, that that's, that's, you know, to finish answering your question that, that once you've gotten to a point where I think you've described what you, what you went through or what you see, and and then it's you've removed yourself from it enough that somebody else could say, oh, that's me, that's me, or that's you know, that's my friend, so and so. And and then the song can take flight, I guess. Mm. Um, um, and then it then it just belongs to the imagination of the people who appreciate it and listen to it and get something from it, you know. Mm. And then Elaine, um, Recently, we were talking about songwriting and she said, you know, you just you just have to polish a song until it shimmers, you know, Mm. which I love that because she's a poet 
And that's so she was referring to really poetry, polishing something until it shimmers. Mm. So that's the challenge in in writing a song. How do you know it's finished? It, ultimately, um, I don't know. It's sort of a it's sort of an abstract. You just you just know. Mm. You know, I finished a song once and I, I performed it in public and um, Amy Grant was there in the audience. And afterwards, she said, I think the second chorus, you need, that needs to change. You need to do something, which I thought, oh, maybe Grant's giving me songwriting advice, you know, like, and she was so right. So why am I telling that story? Um, not trying to drop Amy Grant's name or anything. <laughs> but but I, I think that was an example where a song I thought was finished. And mm -hmm. then a songwriter heard it and said, mm, it falls flat in the second chorus. And I went back and I worked on it and by golly, she was right. And, mm -hmm. and then it was finished. And it's one of the, my favorite songs I've ever written. It's called Mildred Madeline Johnson. And it's mm -hmm. um, about my landlady when I lived in, in Albuquerque. Oh, of mm -hmm. course, just where I live now, but uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's such wisdom in the, no matter how far you've come along the road, no matter how many Dove Awards you might have, that there's still wisdom in the, in the voice of someone else with that musical experience. It's true in birding, right? I, the, I think the best birding advice is find someone with a little more experience and oh, let, them, let them show you around. Yes. Yeah, surround yourself with people that know more than you or, or are better at you than what you do. It applies to, to music. I was a huge life lesson for me because I, I was at the University of New Mexico studying piano mm. and um, I was, I was a good, I was a good piano player and I was kind of a big fish in a small pond, you know, and then I decided to go audition in the East coast. And I was um, when I was 21, I think, and my girlfriend and I flew out there. She was a pianist as well. But um, I was practicing at Juilliard, at the Juilliard School in their practice room area. A friend of mine was studying there, and she let me into her practice room that had a piano in it. And anyway, my, I was playing this Chopin ballade, and um, I'll, I started playing it. And then sometimes this happens in practice rooms. Some other person will hear you playing, and they'll start playing the same piece, like an intimidation thing. Well, this person was very intimidating, whoever it was. I, could, I stopped playing and listened to them. And they got to the hardest passages of the piece and were just nailing it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to go see who that is. And I walked down the hall and looked through the glass on the door. And it was this, a, like a 12-year-old girl just killing, crushing this Chopin ballad. And, oh, man. So anyway, it was a good lesson. And, and savage. It, it was it was a savage lesson. Doesn't God do that sometimes? Like it was a very hard one. I got I was depressed for two years after that. I failed all my auditions. And um, but anyway, that was that's the point, I think. Um, you know, it God that was God's way of pushing me out of what I thought I was gonna be, which was I thought I was gonna be a world-class classical piano player playing concertos with orchestras and and that's not at all what what he had in mind for me and mm. so i think that was the initial conk on the head and a few other conks on the head ensued before i finally ended up doing what i do with music you know mm. so the same is with with birds i find a couple of the i've gone out with a couple of the really great new mexico 
bird people and you just learn so much just like how they listen how they how they um navigate a place trying to find when we're chasing a bird or something it's it's so interesting mm. and i found that the birders tend to be very willing to share their knowledge willing to share their you know if they want to go out alone they'll go out alone but if they're willing to take you they're they're willing to teach you yeah oh no that's very that's very true the um and and then um sometimes i'm a little overwhelmed by you know you know the four what what's the kind of um bird id the four the four letters you know like a song song sparrow sosp oh yeah yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, a, or a lesser goldfinch is a Lego. Mm-hmm. And you go up to a bird place where there's a bunch of people looking for like some rare thing and go, what do you see? Oh, just there's eight Legos and there's blah, blah, blah. And I'm always going, L-E-G-O. Like, <laughs> you know, like trying to like figure out with it, figure out what the bird would be. But I've learned a lot just from that, you know. <laughs> My favorite is the Northern Mockingbird that's N-O-M-O, which is usually oh, what yeah. I'm what I'm yelling at it because I can't hear any of the other birds in my yard. I'm like, no more, oh. no more. Stop oh, it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's very funny. <laughs> I was just editing a, a photo last night of a Northern Mockingbird that I took in, in Ohio someplace. It's a really cool photo. They're so pretty, but man, they when it's 4 a.m., I would like it to be quiet, please. <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> I woke up in the summer. Um, we don't have blue jays here. Um, and there was a blue jay calling, but it took me a while because I hear them, you know, I travel for a living, so I hear them all the time. I go, what is that call? It's so loud and obnoxious. And then I opened the window and it was right above me in the trees. You know, it only stayed here for a couple of minutes. It made the rare bird list and then people showed up to 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 see it, but Whereas anyone in Ohio is like, really a blue jay? You're all driving. Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, one man's treasure. <laughs> there's there's some spiritual um, metaphor there. I'm not sure what it is. There's something I, there. <laughs> yeah, there's something there. <laughs> so what is your favorite bird? If you had to distill it down to just one, maybe it's just your favorite bird today. It can change tomorrow. Yeah. Um well, it's probably like lately we um we've been getting a lot of scrub jays in my yard. Mm. Um, and that's very unusual. They, they, we have plenty of scrub jays in Albuquerque, but they're up in the foothills. And I'm I'm in the lowest part of the city, so I'm down by, by the banks of the Rio Grande, which is about half a mile that way. Mm. And um, so this year, all of a sudden, well, let's all, four years ago, five years ago, we had a what do they call it when there's a, like an invasion of these birds? And um, mm. there's a word for it, but. Uh, um, of of um, of uh, Stellar's Jays. Hmm. I saw one fly, like, this is when I was brand new in birding, and I knew, I just saw something blue. And I'm, what is that? You know, and then pretty soon there were three or four, and I, so I got some peanuts, and and then before you know it, they, they had taken over everything. Every feeder station was attacked by Stellar's Jays, and they stuck around for four glorious months, and then all of a sudden hmm. they were gone, and they'd never been back. So this year it's been uh, scrub jays, woodhouses. Scrub jays is what we have. You have California scrub jays, mm-hmm. um, but I love them. So so they're 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 so smart. And I have I have sat here and watched them grab peanuts from this feeder, and then just go find a little place and, and hide it in there, you know. And they and they can they memorize thousands of little little um, places where they've stored their food, which I just think is so. 
amazing. But I, but I love how how kind they're kind of raucous and loud and bullying. Um, but I love having them around. So, you know, I th- yeah, it's very hard to pick a favorite bird. Yeah, but that'd be that'd be that'd be the, the daily the pick for the day. Actually, the pick for the month since I've got so many of them right now. I like it, and you've got the the J on the cover of your of your book as well. It's the the Stellar's J, but J family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I wouldn't have ever chosen that photo for the cover, but my friends mm-hmm. Elaine and Shirley they they thought it was a very funny. You know. It's a great photo. I'll link to it. Uh, for those of you listening, I'll link to it in the show notes. But it's a it's a Stellar's J with a big peanut in its beak, just looking kind of kind of <laughs> saucy, kind of kind of little attitude. So my kid was like seven when that happened. The, the Stellar's Jays, and really, we would sit here in the morning and I before school, me because it happened in the winter. They were here all through a whole winter, and I'd be sitting here, you know, eating my cereal and drinking coffee and. Um, but she she would just look out the window and go, Stellar's Jay, or, you know, for a kid who claims that she knows nothing about birds, she she can name all of them just from watching me do it over the years, you know. Hmm. She's yeah. she's absorbing it secondhand. <laughs> she is. You know, she's 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 a smart kid and she's a good photographer as well. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me about how your love for the natural world has influenced some of your advocacy work. I saw your your song contribution on the climate vigil songs, and how are those things oh. connected for you? <laughs> oh, wow, you did your homework. Well, it's a beautiful I mean, song. Your contribution to that album was really lovely. That was that was the All Creatures one, right? Yeah. The melody of All Creatures, but it became this kind of mournful piece about, about um, you know, the the climate change um, Mm -hmm. and you know how we're just destroying so much around us i i um i think once you get out there and 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 in the field and are are looking for birds and observing other kinds of wildlife and everything and you you just realize realize how fragile things are um and we're beginning it's kind of accelerated now I was talking, I was in the uh, in the Bosque, which is the, the woods that are all along the banks of the Rio Grande, which is cottonwood forests. And I ran into this girl, young a young woman who, she just was very talkative and very friendly. And it turned out that she is studying um, the effects of climate change on the Rio Grande Bosque. Mm. Uh, what's happening? Um, so in, in old years, both sides of the Rio Grande would flood periodically. And that flooding would keep the cottonwood trees um, alive, you know. Mm-hmm. But they required yearly flooding. Well, with all the dams and the and the um, different flood control systems that are around here, the she was talking about how cottonwood trees are just um, getting. They, they only live to be 150 at the most. Mm. But but usually usually like more like a hundred years and then they just die, but now they're dying you know they're just dying in big numbers because there's just not enough water the water table has sunk, she said it used to be like thirty feet and now they have to go down four hundred plus feet to find water, wow. so and then when they die, um, what will take over? Will it just be desert on the sides of the Rio Grande or will it be? Uh, elm trees, um, which are universally hated around this place, uh, um, Siberian elms. Mm. 
Mm. Um, they're just messy trees. And, and so anyway, there's a sense of urgency that happens being out there and realizing what's going on. There's just one small little place that is happening, but it's a, a global thing. So I've never understood why, why Christians are so reticent to embrace uh, you know, care of the, of the, of the natural world as we're mandated to do, you know, I, I don't understand it. Why it became a political thing. Yeah. If you're conservative, you don't believe in climate change. And if you're liberal, <laughs> you believe in climate change. You know, it's just, it's just the weirdest thing to me. I'll, I'll, I don't get it. No. Love for God should be reflected in your care of the world, care of, of the people around you, you know, care of strangers, all those things. Yeah. Preach it. <laughs> Come on now. So in light of the creation care and some of the, you know, I think it can be easy both as a birder and as a Christian to kind of raise your eyes and look around and just feel discouragement, just feel despair. Like this is not going well. You know, we're, we're fighting about political things rather than, than uniting in Christ. We're, we're, you know, there, there are so many birds that we've lost over the last 30 years because of increase in temperature or flooding or habitat destruction, things like this. Where are you finding hope? Well, you know, when you're, when you're out there and you, I find hope in, in, in some of these young birders that are, that I've met here in Albuquerque, that good grief, the stuff they do to, to just go see one bird and, and, and mark it down on eBird, and, you know, put, put it on their checklist. And then that that's a very encouraging thing to me. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that these guys really, really do care deeply about you know, I'll just talk about the guys here in Albuquerque. They care deeply about birds in New Mexico and, and habitat in New Mexico. And, and I find that very hopeful, you know. Hmm. And to hear Ruby, my daughter, um, she's very environmentally conscious. She's 14 years old, but she, she's she's really aware of stuff, you know. So she comes home and she's talk, talking about something. And I was like, when did you ever even learn what that is, you know? It's just like one surprising thing after another with her. So I think it's in 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 the young people who are who are coming up, you know, they're mm-hmm. coming up in the ranks that are concerned about this stuff. I, I I do feel hopeful, you know. If we're talking specifically about nature, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, I heard, but I, on a on a on a bigger scale, I don't know if you know the speaker Oz Guinness. He's a Anglican uh, priest and um. But anyway, Oz was was talking about where we are now in the world as Christians, you know, and that, you know, he said, atheism is as old as as dirt, you know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, And so it's atheism has never been a threat. But, you know, now we're, we're in this world where that we're, and and I think we've, in many ways, we've earned it, but there's this hostility toward toward Christianity. And, um, but he said, you know, Jesus said, um, I will build upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, uh, and I found that very hopeful. Um, Mm. This is not related to birds, although Oz likes birds as well, but, but um, I don't know. 
those are two sources of hope for me. Mm. <laughs> thinkers, older thinkers like Oz, and then young birders who who love nature. Yeah. And we need that, that old guard with the reminder that there's nothing new under the sun and God still reigns, despite that, all of our best efforts to mess things up down here. That's right. It's it's an interesting time. I think, why did I think of Oz? In this, um, one thing that he said was that I'm not afraid of, of what's going on, you know, mm. because of what Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against us, but. He said, Christianity will be fine. Uh, the church will be fine, but we're going through a dark time right now. And that motivation, when we're motivated out of fear, that shuts everything down. But when we're motivated out of hope, out of trust, out of, yeah. okay, like the story is long. The, yeah. the, the arc of history is long and God is over it all and through it all and in it all. You know, one thing that, yeah, what you just said just sparked, you know, what, to, when you were asking a little while ago about um, how birds um, have contributed or helped me in my songwriting, you know, I think that Bill Harder used to tell me when, after his wife died, his beloved wife of 44 years, I think 42 years, I can't remember, but um, how she had joined this, this heavenly host that gathered before the throne of God, you know, that was how God was surrounded by the, like, like the creatures that described in Revelation, I think it's, I can't remember what chapter four is it, with eyes all around and wings, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Mm. And that when he thought of Linda, his wife, he, he, he thought of that eternal song that is, sung by the the martyrs and the saints and you know everybody who's gone before us but the heavenly creatures the angels and and the other heavenly beings that I've you know that we don't know about and then the stars and the moons and the, and all of the universe but also all of nature um you know sing an eternal song of of praise to god and and um in that way, I, you know, Bill told me that long before I was into birding, but it really came to life, you know, when my mom died, when my dad and my mom died, mm -hmm. thinking of where they were. Um, but you know, it's the it's when I'm out there and I hear the birds in, in song. You know, if you're in a, in a chorus of, I don't know, even even like sandhill cranes when you're. When you're staring at a flock of you know two thousand sandhill cranes and the, that sound, it's so, it's so I don't know, urgent and beautiful and and I don't know, like the song of the earth, you know, and that it's it's part of creation in their praise song to God, you know, and somehow all works together, you know. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Oh, it does. The The rocks will cry <laughs> out. And if not the rocks, the cranes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just feel like the urgency of it when mm -hmm. I talked about, you know, in that the, these, they're, they're so fragile, these birds. And I mean, I mean, the birds and, and, and other wildlife, but they're in our care, you know, yeah. we've been assigned to take care of them. What's the urgency for you? 
how, the urgency of a day uh, in a day of a bird trying to find food trying to, to not freeze to death at night you yeah. know trying to to um i don't know that's that's the urgency to me that that it's there this this whole world goes on all around us and we can engage or not and yeah. to me that that's the urgency that we need to in, engage you know mm, that's um, a good word yeah you know, early early on in the pandemic, we have three young children. And when the pandemic started, they were 18 months old and four and seven. And we were all stuck in our house. And mm. um, one of the things that got us through was, was we realized we're going to need some music to get us through. So we did a dance party every night to just silly, happy kid songs. And then we'd sit around the piano every morning and we'd sing a couple worship songs. And it was your oh. song, Give Me Jesus. There was something oh. about singing in the morning when I rise and then that final and when I come to die and watching yeah. the news. And in this time of such fear that that song really ministered to us from the 18 month old up to, up to me and my husband. So oh. your work bore good fruit in our living room. And I'm very oh, grateful. That's, that's very sweet. And that song has, has, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a spiritual from the slave days. Um, yeah. Give me Jesus. I'm just amazed at, at the different places I've sung it. Mm. I think for both weddings, mostly funerals, but but weddings as well. Um, but then, you know, I sang it to my mom as she was dying, and and um, it's been it's been it's a powerful song that I'm always amazed the stories I hear, you know. Yeah, it's it yeah. was it was the song around our piano, and I I know you didn't write it, but it was it was your version that we liked the best. So oh. <laughs> There are a few versions out there. I, I first heard that song. I was a young missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ mm. uh, in 1984. And I um, there was a church in California, Lake Avenue Congregational in pa Pasadena. It was a huge congregation back in those days. I don't know what it's like now, but their choir was um, one of the best ones in the country. Mm. Um you know, with a very classical sense, Dan Bird, who was also one of my mentors, he was the conductor, but I came into a Maundy Thursday service and they they were singing Give Me Jesus. And it was this incredibly beautiful choir arrangement that I think the loudest that they ever, ever got was like a, like a, maybe a mezzo, just like in the middle of mm. a, a very, it, it, not even medium loud, but the intensity of it. And I had heard that song all my life you know, growing up in the Presbyterian church. And then, but that, that was a life-changing moment. Hmm. And, and that's when I started arranging that song, on working on an arrangement on the piano that I could, you know, sing as my own, you know, hmm. so. Can you tell um, me a little bit of your, your faith story? What got you started and what keeps you? So, um, born and raised Presbyterian, and that was back in when it was United Presbyterian Church. Um, and so I was familiar with, you know, the, the Presbyterian liturgy and the, pres the and the church calendar. But I was, I was, by the time I was, so, so we moved to Ecuador. I was still Presbyterian. I attended a missionary school out there for the second year out there. Um, so I was surrounded by, by missionaries and Christianity. But when we came back to the United States, um, I was 14, I think, and I experienced a kind of culture shock. I had been in Ecuador, which is like a little, you know, it was a pretty backwards country back then. 
And then I came back and, and I was just overwhelmed by so much that had changed in the United States. Woodstock had happened, the moon landing had happened, um, all kinds of, of things. And, um, and I, I, had, I had a faith crisis and I actually left the church. Mm. Um, and I started just pursuing other kind of philosophies and different schools of thought, I guess, of how to approach God. And um, I met this girl who was a really, really devout Christian. And she was in the in our art class. She would, um, while we were drawing or making clay sculptures or whatever, she would she would read her Bible to to me. Hmm. And um, I pretended like I just was bored out of my mind, but I thought the language that she was saying it was so. She was reading from the Amplified Bible, hmm. which is not like the most tedious thing to read in the world. But um, like just to say, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Uh, it's blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied. That's, that is with spiritual processes, with lifelong joy. And I can't remember, are the poor in spirit. In a, and I memorized all the Beatitudes in in, in the amplified language. Boy, that's mm. a long way to go. Anyway, she would read <laughs> these passages to me. And I thought, wow, there's that's really beautiful. The language is beautiful. I, I appreciated the poetry of it. And um, And then one day I just said, hey, how do I? how do I become a Christian, you know? So, mm. so she prayed with me in that classroom. Mm. And um, I think that's when I became a Christian. I don't know. It was kind of a rocky road for a while after that, <laughs> you mm. know, certain things I'd not letting go of, you know, I didn't have like this. I, it did radically change me. It ra radically changed who I was. Um, mm. um, and then, you know, I, that was, she was a Pentecostal girl. So, mm. So I started going to that church and that was, that was a wild experience. Um, it was Pentecostal times 10. Even if you look on TV these days and see some wild Pentecostal service, it's nothing compared to what that church was, you know, my, in my teenage years, but I stayed there and I learned, that's where I learned how to like improvise on the piano. Hmm. I was a classical piano player, uh, but the bass player would just stand next to me and yell out the chords G, D, you know, that's so when ding, 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 ding. And then I learned how to arpeggiate the chord or play scales in the key. And and um, so, yeah, I was, I, that's how I became a Pentecostal piano player. Mm -hmm. And then the church sort of imploded. It fell apart. Um, and, and then I became, I, I fled to the relative safety of the Baptists <laughs> for a few years. <laughs> And then I and then I um, moved to California to became missionary with Campus Crusade, mm. and and found Lake Avenue Congregational, mm. um, and then slowly came back to a more. There was a church out there that I was hired by as a music minister, and they and they started slowly moving to what they, was like a seeker-driven format. Mm. So they wanted the services to be sort of like, like the Jay Leno show or something, you know, like a variety show. So we weren't even singing. We were just singing pop songs that kind of illustrated the, the sermon and all that. And and whatever, you know, whatever you think about, a lot of people came to faith through that church. I myself was was feeling I was in a crisis. Hmm. And, um, and I slowly found my way back to more like just thinking of the hymns that I grew up singing because we didn't, nobody knew hymns in that church 
that I'm talking about. Hmm. And I started thinking back to hymns like Give Me Jesus, but also Praise the Lord, the Almighty, Come the Thought of Every Blessing. Um, and and slowly made my way back to a more liturgical setting, I guess. Hmm. Even I ended I wound up becoming an Anglican for a while. Love the Anglicans. There's yeah, good, yeah. good stuff in the Anglican yeah. tradition for sure. Yeah, the hymnal, the Anglican hymnal, it's got some really powerful hymns, you know. It's got some real lousy ones, too, but everybody does. <laughs> so where can people find you, your music, your book? You have a lovely Bob Dylan cover out there right now. We will pray for your soul. You're not just doing hymns. You're covering Bob Dylan. Um, you don't know the flack I took for that Bob Dylan song. Really? It's so beautiful. Bob Dylan's great. Oh my gosh, the song is beautiful. My daughter sings on that. Mm. She has a little cameo appearance in this at the in the middle of the second verse and, the, and all the way to the end. Mm. It's just really cool what she does. Um, yeah, so I mean, my website's there. I I was just talking last night with somebody who does websites. Uh, we were talking about how they haven't they're not obsolete, but it's no. just like adjust the facts, ma'am. Go there, find out the tour, find out where to purchase merch. And blah, blah, blah. That's what a website is. Instead of this, you know, I used to have this very interactive website that was the coolest thing ever, but maintaining it was a pain. Hmm. So FernandoOrtega.com. Perfect. My, my, my book is not on Amazon. The only place to find the book is on my website, unfortunately. Well, thank you, Fernando, for your time. What a gift. Thank you for your book. I was reading this last night and just I kept chuckling. My husband's like, what's funny? I'm like, this entire book is funny. Oh. It's, it's clever and it's <laughs> insightful. And the little stories are just such gems. So everyone check out Fernando's birds, photographs and tales. Find his music. It will encourage your soul and your heart. And when can we expect this next album? Because I'm already very excited. Wow. So I think I'm four songs in. Okay. And I've I run into I've already run into a major snag. Like you know, for me, I I I record in my house here just down this hall and I have to find space when the dogs aren't barking. My next door neighbor has five Irish wolfhounds and two Labrador retrievers. And and then uh when this guy down here who loves power tools, I don't know that he ever builds anything, but he's always there's always like coming out of his out of there. So all those things make it onto the, you know, into the mics. So, so it's challenging um, Mm. recording at your house, you know? So like I have a recording that I was doing on last week where I, I finally got this good piano take and I was like holding the the note. I got to the end and Ruby yells out, sounds good, dad. And that was it. No. You got to leave that. You got to leave that. (laughs) A little outro. Yeah. Fortunately, now it's just like, you know, you just, you know, record over it with Pro Tools. I mean, in Pro Tools and and fix it. But it's it's pretty funny. All right. So you're four songs in out of I'm four songs in. Yeah. So I'm I'm in a snag right now just trying to figure out uh, how to play this one. I'm working on this one. I think it's a folk song. It's called How Can I Keep From Singing? Do you know that Oh, I love that song. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, My life goes on in endless song above earth's lamentation. Mm. I feel, I I hear the, I hear the something though far off him that hails a new creation. Mm -hmm. Sweet that, oh, though far off him that hails a new creation. Mm. Um, 
Um, yeah, and I love the second verse. I'll never think of it now. But mm. anyway, I'm working on that, and it's just not, it's close, but it's just not coming together. Mm. So anyway, all that to say, this could drag on for six months, or I could, you know, all of a sudden nail it in like two months or something. Mm. So we're, right now we're planning on a fall tour featuring the record, the new record. Oh, that's exciting. And there, we don't even have a working title of it, but it'll come. Fernando's Birds, the album. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I do have to have some, I have to have a couple of bird songs. So this is a, this is a new thing to like have an interview with a Christian, uh, you know, um, podcast that centers around birds. I mean, that's really cool. That's a first for me. This has been great. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Put a sickle on your soul. Yes, it does.